0: This is Esculapius, a podcast that uncovers the human side of our healthcare professionals. I'm your host, John Neary. Today my guest is Monsignor Gregory Malovitz. Father Greg has been the pastor of St. Charles Borromeo Parish in Montgomery, New Jersey for over 30 years. He also serves as the chaplain of Stewart Country Day School in nearby Princeton. As a priest, Father Greg attends to the spiritual needs. Of the sick and their families in various capacities father greg welcome to the show glad
1: to be here john
0: uh i think it's important to first note that this is the first live episode of medicine man uh so i'm not just uh loafing around in my pajamas this time i'm actually in here (laughs) with with father greg so glad to be here with him uh first i want to just ask you the uh seemingly uh seemingly simple question Uh, What is pain?
1: Pain is a variety of things. I think for the most part, pain is a a feeling of abandonment, feeling of um, uncertainty. It can express itself physically or spiritually or emotionally. So that's my experience. That's abandonment, lack of control, um, fear.
0: Going off that, what is healing? A lot of people may consider uh, healing an absence of pain. Others... Uh, More uh, an acceptance of pain. How would you characterize healing as a whole?
1: I think it could be all of the above It's sometimes it's the healing of some physical pain. I've been uh, I had an accident in which I broke my leg and I needed Surgery and medication and therapy to heal me But we've also had broken hearts and we need other things perhaps to Help heal us of those of broken hearts of, of more emotional or spiritual pain so Healing is coming, I think, to a place of peace and a sense of wholeness in your life.
0: And so now could you talk, uh, what what role does spirituality and I guess uh, the Catholic faith in particular play in healing? Well,
1: I think spirituality and then the Catholic faith can be two different things because spirituality may be a variety of uh Experiences in a variety of different traditions that people have—they understood a power greater than themselves. In the Catholic tradition, it comes uh, from the message of Christ, which is that you know we don't—we're not always quite certain why people's lives unfold the way they do, why people experience pain, why people get sick, why people experience trauma. Um, but the promise that Christ makes is that there is a grace, there's a strength that helps people walk through it to be able to embrace the moment and to find peace in their their life. You know, in the time of Christ, it was really believed that illness was punishment from God, that it was somehow either you had done something wrong or maybe your parents did something wrong. And now when Christ comes along, he says that, no, that's not what it is. It's life is what it is. And what God is there is to give you the strength and the grace to uh to walk through whatever it is you're experiencing
0: going off that um specifically uh in the catholic faith and the bible can you talk about jesus uh as a healer there are obviously uh many uh miracles uh that he performed on on different people with you know lepers and and people who had various illnesses but just almost holistically speaking, as a healer, can you kind of uh, talk to that concept?
1: Well, John, you know, I think, again, part of it the healing, people can read the Bible and they can see us, listen to stories about Jesus curing somebody who's blind, curing somebody who is lame, people who are deaf, and you begin to say, oh, that can almost seem like magic, how cool this is. But the context, again, that we can never forget is that the people who were experiencing those illnesses and those disabilities were shunned from the rest of society. They did not find themselves um, actually in the midst of things, and the reality is also that when you hear a lot of talk about demonic possession in uh, in the New Testament, many people think that a lot of that might have been mental illness and emotional illness. And so, even more so, folks who were experiencing very bizarre behavior or making irrational choices were really kept to the side of society, thought that there's something they don't belong. So, when Jesus comes as this holistic healer, it's not only to say, Okay, John, you no longer are blind, or John, you're no longer possessed by some demon. You belong, you're part of the community. And so the healing, the restoration is not only a physical and emotional one, but to a certain extent, it's a, it's a social one as well. And um, when we lose sight of that, then we lose, then the image of Christ curing people just becomes a sort of uh, a momentary thing that he does that's, that's interesting and cool, but not necessarily, how does it affect my life, especially if, I, if I'm not being cured of something.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Uh kind of uh, alienation is not usually viewed as a side effect of a lot of illnesses, but it's certainly something that, as you're saying, is kind of addressed in the Bible.
1: Right. Well, you know what I would say, John, I, I, I hear, hear how you're coming at this, but, you know, my experience as a priest, and especially a priest for about 36 years, and, it, you know, 36 years can seem like a long time. It's not really a hugely long time, but the amount of it medical changes that have taken place over the past 36, 40 years are huge. So when I was a young priest, uh, people didn't talk always about cancer because there was a sense of like, if people know I have cancer, they're going to treat me differently. I'm going to feel ostracized. Certainly, I became a priest in the early 80s when HIV AIDS was becoming a huge uh, crisis in in our country and in the world. And that's a pretty good example of how people felt ostracized and alone so you know the message of christ is that we not only want to help people be physically healed if that's possible but also to say that your illness doesn't define who you are your illness doesn't define you know who you are so sometimes there are some people who i've met who have had cancer and they and i understand that people have different opinions about this some people don't want to be called a cancer survivor they 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 don't object to other people saying that, but their experiences, I, that's, that doesn't define who I am. And um, that's just some people come at it that way. So, so I would say there is still in many ways um, a reluctance for people to speak about their illness um, because of the fact that they um, feel that somebody's gonna think less of them or feel you know, um, that they don't belong.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's I like what you're saying about um, it's easy, even when good or bad things happen tremendously, kind of like the extremes to kind of put people in this box of trauma survivor, you know, survivor of X, Y, Z or, you know, champion of X, Y, Z. And um, as we all know, that doesn't really kind of define any person. So it's nice that part of being spiritual is uh, viewing somebody as a, a whole person.
1: Well, you know, to that point, I I don't know if you'd seen the news recently, but one of the great Catholic uh, figures of the last century and this century is Jean Vanier, and he died recently at the age of 90. And Jean Vanier uh, actually was one of the first people in the early 60s who saw people with um, intellectual disabilities who were put in institutions And he had this great, because of his own Catholic faith, believed that there was a a dignity to those folks and they shouldn't be put away, even if they couldn't be cured of, or they couldn't be, uh, they would always have these disabilities, uh, to put it that way. And his whole thing was bringing them into into the mainstream. And he called the group uh, that he founded, and it's like in 35 countries now, in five continents, it's called L'Arche. And L'Arche in French means the Ark. And his idea was that Part of coming to healing in life is the sense of I'm included that I'm part of the ark and so again, I think that's a great development in certainly in spirituality when it comes to to uh, healing of both physical and and uh, intellectual and emotional wounds and illnesses
0: I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, your roles uh, particularly in the the medical context and uh I know you you can speak to a lot of the, the rituals and traditions and um duties you have uh within uh the Catholic Church, but uh can you talk about more of your uh experiences and, and, and functions working with patients and the ill? Yeah, well,
1: you know, throughout my priesthood there have been uh you know, the the uh usual hospital visits if you know that somebody's in the hospital to go and see them. And for the most part, those visits are simply uh, trying to assure the people that they're not alone, and also do they need anything when they get out of the hospital. But I have found over the last number of years that families are faced with a lot of very um, difficult decisions to make, sometimes when about should a person have surgery, often it's end-of-life care. And it's not always all quite black and white and they often will need someone who comes from this from a moral and spiritual point of view to kind of help them weigh what the consequences and what the the various outcomes are of different treatments. So you know I see I see a change as being when I was a much younger priest, I would just go to the hospital and I would see you and I'd say, hey John, how you doing? And oh you broke your leg and et cetera, et cetera. Um, whereas now that still happens, but people aren't in the hospital that much long, you know, with insurance, people are out, in and out. They can be out before I even know they're in. Um, I'm finding more that people are in the more complicated um, situations that that cancer brings about with it, or ALS, or some of the diseases that are really much more prominent now than they were when I was younger. uh they need help in negotiating their way to how do I live with this or how do I accept death? You know, so it's a, it's, it's more, I find it more complicated now as I get older than years ago going into the hospital.
0: Do people sort of formally ask you advice in these various medical situations or kind of just ask for a blessing? What, what does that look like? Or is it different for every situation?
1: I think it's different for every situation. And going back again, what I've seen is a development in the role of, I would say, a priest. but I would also say other men and women of religious traditions, those who are clergy, is that years ago, for me, going into the hospital or going to see somebody who was sick was more um, sacramental, meaning to say it might be bringing them communion, might be listening to them, what's going on, uh, hearing their confession and in some cases doing an anointing of the sick for them. And that continues very much today. But what's layered onto this now is people will say to me, I'm really confused about what I'm gonna do. Or the family may say to me as I'm standing in the hospital with them, "You know, we're really concerned about the surgery that John is gonna have. And they need somebody to talk to about their fears, their concerns their worries. I think people in the medical profession are wonderful. I've met wonderful doctors and nurses and all kinds of lab technicians, but sometimes there isn't that space that, that, that somebody's right there to say, this really stinks, doesn't it? Or it's really hard or I'm not certain what's going to come of this, or how are we going to move through this? That, you know, I can provide that listening ear. Um, and most of the time it's, I'm not an oncologist so i can't tell you you know whether this treatment is right or that treatment is right but i can listen and i can say you know you sound like it sounds like you're really afraid or it sounds like you really would like to move in this direction and i think that is often for me one of the great parts of ministry is that people can feel that somebody listens to them because i'm not certain people always in in illness want all the answers because sometimes there are no answers where there isn't a clear answer. They want to know if somebody listened to them and heard them. And I think clergy provide, I think, I hope I can provide that for people, that somebody listened to them.
0: You mentioned the uh, sacrament of anointing of the sick. Um, Realistically, people probably aren't too familiar with it, especially even Catholics and non-Catholics, obviously, um, because you don't encounter it until the end of your life. Uh, So could you describe kind of what goes on there? And what sort of grace it adds to the 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 Catholic faith
1: right well you know the the uh, you know kind of a kind of really quick thumbnail history of this is that the Catholic Church believes this comes from the book of james uh, the uh, the letter of James rather in which he the author speaks about if someone's sick among you, have the priest come in and pray over them in the sense of asking God to um Heal them, but if you look at some of the language in that original text, it's not simply healing of a physical illness, but healing you of of the of healing you so that you experience God's presence in whatever you're going through. So the church develops the sacrament of, of the anointing of the sick. develops somewhere along the line, it becomes the sense that uh, it was. It started to be wait. People would wait until the end of their life. To have it and it became known some people would call it extreme unction as the last as the last anointing so There developed this tendency Particularly, I remember as a young person where you did not call the priest to do the anointing unless death was near now Since the second Vatican Council, which was when the church, you know renewed itself and and updated itself in the early 60s They said any illness that causes a person grave concern is a moment to receive an anointing so that person knows that they are loved by God, that they're reminded that his presence is there. They can receive the grace that they need in the midst of their whatever other unanswered questions. So that's developed where it's not only people who are going into any surgery might be anointed, but also people who are have ongoing illness. If a person has an ongoing situation with diabetes or an ongoing situation with uh, uh, any kind any kind of illness that causes them difficulties, they can be anointed. People are still anointed at the end of their life. They call again. We don't. No one calls it the last, right? So you still find people of a certain generation calling it that. At that moment, it is a prayer and a moment of anointing in which a person's is. If they're conscious or not we ask for God's forgiveness for whatever has happened in their life that they need that kind of healing for and that this is now sort of safe passage to to life with God so um, it's moved from being simply this idea of the end of life to the idea that there are various moments in life where one's illness might cause them serious concern or, or worry, and they need God's help with it.
0: Are there any other, uh, medical traditions, uh, or in the, the Bible or the Catholic faith that you're aware of? What you, when you mean medical traditions? What do you talk about? Something kind of set out or, or specifically for those who are, I, I guess a lot of the, the Catholic faith is that we all have our brokenness and illness and things, but, um, any sort of, I guess, blessings, even even saints who were doctors or things of that nature. Right.
1: Well, you know, one of the great, um, one of the great devotions that has been in the church for about, I would say, about two hundred years, maybe, is there is the belief that Mary, the mother of Jesus, appeared at Lourdes in France, and that there were healing waters that came from the grotto that she was in at Massaibier and so people go in pilgrimage to that place in uh, Lourdes to pray for healing, to pray for um, either themselves for healing or for those who uh, need to be healed. There are various prayers that are associated with with uh, Our Lady of Lourdes. I've even known people who have gone to Lourdes and brought the water back to sort of bless people with it. And I think again, it's are people cured? I, there are testimonies of people who have been cured from going there. There have been testimonies, there's been experiences where people were not cured. But again, it gave them great solace and great peace to know that they were connected to this sort of wonderful tradition of Mary having appeared at, at uh, Lourdes. The great, just to, as you know, for the doctor thing, the, it's, it's believed that Luke, the gospel writer of Luke, was a physician. And the reason why it's believed that he was a physician. Is because when you read his gospel and you look at it in Greek, when he records various uh, various miracles that Jesus uh, is a part of, he uses specific medical terms uh, in his telling of the story that is not that are not found in any of the other three gospels. When they tell similar stories of a person who was healed of leprosy or healed of of being uh, crippled. So it's an interesting thing that Luke is known as you know is often known as the physician because they clearly look at that you had to know that information in order to use those Greek words in describing things. So there is a tradition right from the beginning of 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 Christ's story being told that somebody who was in the medical profession was involved in it,
0: you know. To me it's such an interesting thing how like your spirit and your health are, are tied together, both physical, mental, emotional. Um, and I think it's just a part of the reason why I created the show is just to kind of explore those things in, in all different parts of of the field. So I think uh, it makes a lot of sense that someone like Luke would, would uh, you know, be predominant in both the church and uh, a medical setting.
1: You, you know, can I just comment on that and, and say that what you just said about the a person's mental well-being and their physical health that i have been so often in situations in which i have seen how there is such a a close correlation to that uh, whether you call it their mental health or their spiritual life Um, not that people who are strongly spiritual are necessarily you know okay i don't care what's happening to me but there is a great uh there, there is a great difference when people when they are depressed, you can't, you can't muster up the grace and the, the energy to have hope if you're depressed because you have cancer. And so that so often what happens that is clergy and people of faith are needed not to be cheerleaders, but to kind of help people maybe widen their vision a little bit to be aware maybe of if there are blessings that they're forgetting in all of this and to kind of help the, lift up the spirit so that they can really face the illness and, uh, you know, do the treatment that perhaps that they need.
0: Yeah. Is the is spiritual kind of well, well-being well and mental health, are you saying that they're kind of one and the same, they're kind of tangential, they're two separate things, or hard to say?
1: Well, I, I think there is a link between them, your spiritual health and your mental health and your physical health. Um, you know, sometimes, i have an experience, experiences where people are coming to me for what is seeming what they think is a religious problem a religious a spiritual problem it may be at some level but there is also some um there's some also emotional or mental issue as well so you know people can I, again I'm, I'm speaking in a very broad stroked sort of way here but you know i've had people come to me and they're talking to me about they don't. They can't feel God in their life, and they feel uh, a struggle, and they feel lethargic about their faith. And then you start to unpack it a little bit, and you kind of say, "I think she's depressed," and you have to name the depressed. This is not necessarily a religious, spiritual issue, as it is really a mental health issue, and the spiritual can help you find your way to to better mental health. That, that's a part. What well, I think is a very important component in the healing but if you just some people just see it as a spiritual issue if i just prayed harder i wouldn't feel so bad well that's not why you feel bad you feel bad because you have a chemical imbalance and that may be you know why uh you're experiencing this sense of lowness you know so i it they're very interrelated and you have to sometimes with people have to really sit and talk to them for a long time and and get to know them and to say, oh, I'm not quite certain. Well, yeah. Or yeah, or, or sometimes it is a spiritual issue. Yeah. You're, you're fine. And then, you know, I would say I, my analysis of you is you're not suffering from anything that makes you dangerous to people or to yourself. It's that you need to maybe relook at your spiritual life.
0: I, I think a lot of those questions are just being really continued to being answer in our medical field and spiritual. Um, it's That stuff's so interesting to me. The, it seems like the thing that ties them together uh so cohesively is just fear. If you're afraid um when you think of fear that's anxiety, that's a that's a medical condition, but also you know all of all of our spiritual traditions, you know, all a- across the board are ways to cope with fear as well and things that might happen um and it, it's just such a hard thing to kind of accept the past and you know prepare for the future and I think that's a characteristic that people who are spiritually unwell and both and mentally unwell have fear
1: yeah absolutely and I think that you know for for, for the spiritual life as well as for our, our mental health it's not a matter of never being afraid or not having fear I think in both from a spiritual point of view if there are fears or from um, an emotional, mental health point of view there are fears you 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 know there's that that famous phrase you can't fix what you don't acknowledge and you have to first say I acknowledge that I am afraid and how does my spiritual life help me name that fear and walk through it and how does my um, how do how do mental health professionals or or, or, uh, programs or, or, or helps Get me to a place to walk through To have peace, but you, you've in both cases you have to you have to acknowledge it and something else you said maybe think about You know we live in a time right now where yes, you have to look at your life holistically I think you need all the components, but people are my experience are very rushed They want every answer to be solved yesterday afternoon And if I could just go on a website and figure this out, I would be able to, you know, uh, I'd be able to, I could, by tomorrow afternoon, I could have an action plan and it doesn't work that way. And so the idea of people saying, I need to look at this holistically, means people have to take a step back. That's, that's part of the spiritual life. It's part of mental health. It's part of physical health. You have to take a step back and kind of look at from the, the, bigger picture. I think that's what clergy help people do. Could you just take a step back for a minute, you know, not literally, literally, but like, could you get away from the ledge for a minute, you know, and just sort of stop for a minute and take a look at what are the various issues that are going on?
0: Yeah, what you just said reminds me of um, a physician who told me uh, the job of a physician is um, to amuse the patient until time takes this takes its role and heals um and I think that's a lot of times that's missed by people nowadays because they want the answers and they won't let time run its course and just kind of uh, play things out um is is there a way you kind of tell people in the midst of some sort of physical or or other illness to say hey you just need some time
1: well you know the short answer to that is yeah but the 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 reality is is that i think this would come to a lot of people who are in any kind of helping profession you have to first figure out what can this person hear you know they have a certain expectation of what they want to hear whether they go to a doctor or they go to a priest a lot of people want to have could you just tell me what the answer is and keep it to like three sentences that it's sort of it's sort of like that but sometimes people can people in a first meeting can you have you size it up you say i don't think he can hear
0: they're n- they're not ready
1: they're not ready or they're just they're focused so you so you need to get to get to know them to know what their fears are to know what their concerns are a lot of this what you something you said before we just before it made me think of this that you know the big fear for a lot of people is that you don't have control you're not in control and you know, uh, that's that's big for people. When you dis- when you come up against an illness, when you come up against uh, any kind of disability, you're you're not in control, and that's that's hard for people. And so you got to you, you you can't. There are too many people who want to say like nice things to them in terms of like, oh, it's going to be okay, and don't worry. And I have never, as a priest, told anybody it's going to be okay or even not to worry because that's not my place to tell them that because I don't know that it's gonna be okay and I don't know if there's really there might be something to actually worry about but it's one thing to name those things another thing to give them power and to let them kind of control the way you live your life
0: yeah that's funny I know EMTs are specifically trained not to say everything's gonna be okay in a lot of dramatic situations so it's uh I feel like it's 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 part of the human condition, right? Trying to feel like we're in control. I was actually um, just reading a book by the Mayo Clinic, and prayer is listed as an alternative form of medicine. Uh, can you talk to the, A, the healing powers of a person's individual prayer, and B, do you believe that kind of... Practices in your spiritual realm, realm like prayer, like meditation, uh, can have an actual effect on the physical realm.
1: Well, the first thing, the first way I would respond to this, John, is that I'm not certain. Did you say that the Mayo Clinic said that prayer is an alternative to medicine?
0: Well, it's, it's considered a, I I guess, perhaps not a, the term alternative medicine or integrative medicine is something they are like. Techniques and practices that don't have a lot of science and data back it, and I think we can all say prayer doesn't have you know a hundred clinical trials to, to to say it'll work to heal you or not. Um, so that's that's kind of where it came from.
1: Yeah. Okay. Because I, I I don't want anybody. I would not want people to think that I would ever think that you know don't take the chemo, say the rosary instead. Right. You know. Cause <laughs> I don't think that's You know, but I, you know, in in my life, I have seen. Where prayer is a help to people in terms of being more centered as they go through um, the experience of being ill, and what I mean by that is that you know prayer—just to say the word prayer—can mean a hundred different things to you or me or anybody listening to this or people will meet this afternoon. Um, If prayer for a lot of people, there's nothing wrong with it, but prayer for a lot of people is sort of a wish list. You know, this is what I'd like, and could you do it today? And if you could do it by this afternoon, that would even be better. And, you know, so that's, I think that's an initial part of prayer, that we need to request that I want to get better, or I want Mary to get better, or Bob to get better. That's nothing wrong with that. But prayer is also, at its most, at an ancient, ancient root in the Christian tradition is about surrender. It's about entering into a place of peace. It's about entering into allowing God and the grace of God to lead you. Um, So when prayer is very much directed toward wish, wish list sort of stuff, and again, I'm not being pejorative by that. I'm just saying when it's that, that only goes so far. When people tell me, you know, all our prayers got answered because so-and-so got cured, I, I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, I think of a lot of people whose prayers didn't get answered and the sadness that they're feeling. So that's, that's, some people have that experience. But as a priest, my experience where it has made a huge difference is where a person is able to surrender the control, to surrender the fear to surrender the anxiety and to come to peace because i think if you're peaceful then you're able to accept and to walk the journey that is ahead of you rather than be fighting it i knew somebody many many years ago many years ago who had cancer and you know she was a person who had her own struggles She said to, you know, she's a person who, who was, prayer was very important to her. And she said to me, you know, Greg, I believe this is how my life is supposed to unfold. So my prayer now is that I will walk this life rather than fight it because I I can't, I can't change this. And around the same time, I knew another person who really believed, this person really believed that they were a strong, strong, strong believer but they couldn't let go. They could not let go. They kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And I always wonder if the, if at the end, the person was really as peaceful as that person could have been because they spent so much time denying and fighting and praying for the cure that they didn't pray that this is how my life is unfolding and I wanna enter into it. So it's not a judgment about either one, but it's a way of my answering your question to saying that my experiences that the person who said this is how my life is unfolding came to a greater peace in her life I think and and cherished her life was more grateful for her life than I think the other person's experience Um, and and don't get me wrong I it's easy for me to sit here in this room and say that to you it's hard when you're in the middle of that it's hard for people it's hard but that to me is the the effect of prayer
0: I want to switch into some more uh clinical nuggets, so to speak. Um, I know here at the church, you have an Alzheimer's uh, support group, correct? Um, And that's that's an illness that really uh, can bring a lot of grief to to families because they see their loved ones in their old age uh, declining, especially cognitively. How do you see through to their spirit when there's just really um not a a ton of cognitive function left.
1: Well, my my own father died of Alzheimer's disease 3 years ago. So, I'm I started the group and I continue to be one of the people who kind kind of uh, facilitates the group. And if you're talking specifically about the per, the person who had who has the disease, how do you
0: Uh yes, but we can also extend it to their their families afterwards. Yeah. Well, I, I would say my learning uh,
1: is that, particularly with my father, there's always there's a mourning and a, and a sadness when the day comes and he looks at you and he says to you, he seems himself and he's bright-eyed and he looks at you and he says, do I, do I know you? Have we met? So there's, there's a grief that happens with that. The challenge that we learned in the couple of years, my father had the disease for about four years before he died, is that you have to begin to accept people where they are. This is where he is. And this is who he is right now. And, you know, what am I being called to in this moment as his son? I'm being called not to try to get him to be back the guy he was, because that doesn't work. I'm being called to say, this is who he is right now. And what is he, what am I learning from this in this moment? That I need to be more patient with him. That I need not to try to control him. Um, Certainly if there is, Anything that's violent or dangerous, you got to kind of keep your tabs on people. And I think that's the big learning in the Alzheimer's group when we as sons and daughters and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters sit and talk about this. The big learning for a lot of people is um, you got to stop trying to make them be who they, remind them of who they, like get them to be back who they were five years ago or two years ago or even last year, because that's not going to happen. And what you're called to at that moment is to be present to who she is or who he is right now. So it's a tough place to be because you're, you're mourning what's what's happened, but it's, you're not going to bring that back. You know, there's no prayers that are going to bring that back, but you can say, rather than there came a point with my father's illness as it progressed, was that you you stopped. If he sort of said that, you know, he's gone on a locomotive tonight to New York city, Instead of saying no, you're not, we're like, really? What time's the train leaving? Yeah. Do you like travel? Do you like traveling on the train? Do you so there's this sense of you ha- you have to move into a different place. And that's where people who are in the caregiving situation, they need to have a strong support, as also they have to say they need they need a spirituality that says, I am not in control of this. So God give me the grace to listen to this guy right now and to answer in a way that honors where he is this moment. So it's a very complicated illness and it's very hard for people who are caregivers and there's a lot of challenges. But I think the spiritual life, that's why these people come to the group, not only to get some practical advice, but to say, I'm not alone in the fact that I have to let go of what my hopes would have been here and ask for that grace to accept where we are in the journey.
0: All of us are so identified with our minds and to have your mind kind of go downhill seems like you're losing your identity. You're no longer Joe. You're just kind of a person in someone's body. You can't, you know, function as well. Um, when I guess with all Alzheimer's really that body and mind of the body, mind, spirit is gone. So how do you still see the soul though, in someone who, who's going through Alzheimer's? Well, you know, he, for
1: I can only speak to my father. My father, you know, basically looked the same. He's still the same guy. My father had these really great blue eyes. And so you have to ask for that wisdom to sort of say, yeah, I, I, I recognize you. You don't know who I am, but I know I see you. You know, I see you and that, you know, this is an example with Alzheimer's, but it's also the example of how to come to people who have any sort of illness, that I see you, meaning to say, I I don't, may not understand what you're going through. I may not be able to do a thing for you, but I see you in pain and I see you upset and I see you, you know, um, uncertain and you're not alone. And that was the most that you can do in those moments is to, to take joy in the things that are, um, you know, That where there are moments of remembrance, my father died on Christmas Eve. I said I was laying on the bed next to him. Two days before he died, and I told him I knew he was going to die. And I said, "You know, Dad, your your son's a priest. This is not the best time of the year to be doing this." But you know, a couple of months before, in September, he celebrated. They celebrated his 60th wedding anniversary, and he remembered he was able to sing the song that they danced to. So you have to say there are glimmers of. life that you celebrate and i think in every illness that's what god is calling us to do to celebrate where there are glimmers of life and there's glimmers of beauty and you know sometimes my father would say and we've shared this in the group my father would say the most bizarre things that were absolutely hilarious and what i came to understand is that you know god calls us this is the spiritual life god calls us not just in big moments of life, but in these sort of the weird moments. And I, my mother and I used to say, you know, "I think God is calling us to to say, you got to lighten up sometimes in the middle of this. That there's, it's really tragic what's happened to him, but he's making us laugh our heads off. That there's still a reason to have joy. And that to me was, that was that was God's grace in those moments. It's work, but um, there, but there's but there's beauty in it. There's real beauty in it, as hard as it is.
0: Another um, more general situation that obviously takes a toll on the family, I guess, in, in Alzheimer's case too, is kind of somebody in a hospital bedridden, kind of spending their last days. And I'm sure you've been called into situations like that where you've you've uh, have been present with people. Um, can you? What do you say to a patient? And what do you say to their family as their their days are are dwindling?
1: Well, the patient piece is. Can vary very much um, because sometimes people are already, when I'm called, that the end is in days or are already in some unconsciousness. So you you're not quite certain what they know. But there's you know the, the great wisdom of people who are who deal with end of life uh, care is that you you know they say that the hearing is the last to go. So you keep talking to them, and my feeling is that I always want to assure them. That they're surrounded by love and i will always say to a person whether they are conscious or not and whether i know them or not i will say to them thank you for everything you did for people in in your life and thank you for the person you were and you know there's sometimes family members are stand they're sitting there or around and You could tell that touches people very much because it's what they want, they want to say. You know, my learning, John, is that when people come to the end of their life, unless their death is a terribly tragic, sudden one, people want to know that their life mattered. And sometimes people have had really hard lives and they just want to know that their life mattered. And I think what I, unless unless it's a lie because it was a horrible relationship, you don't want to be making stuff up at the end. But I think for the most part, people can never forget to say, just to keep saying, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for everything you did. I, w- I wouldn't be the person I am today without knowing you. And sometimes even if that was a turbulent relationship, I wouldn't be the person, you know, I had to learn a lot of patience because you weren't that easy. I wouldn't say that to the person, but you know, um, I think there's enough of those kinds of things that people in the end can be saying to one another. And that really becomes the prayer. That becomes the prayer. There are, if if people are particularly religious, I think that even if the people standing around are not religious, you know, you sometimes have to remind them, this is not about you. It's what we need to help her to kind of go home to God. So maybe she loved the Hail Mary. So pray the Hail Mary. Let her hear that you know, to accompany her as she she goes uh, home to God.
0: I think that the, the most interesting tidbit to me was that you said, even if you didn't know them, you know, and it's perhaps to some that might seem bizarre, but it's just kind of almost the inner, like, you know, the interconnectedness of us as humans is that we all kind of matter to each other, regardless of how well I witnessed your, your, your importance.
1: I mean, you know, I I don't think, and I don't mean to be glib about this, I don't think that I've ever been in the hospital bed of somebody who was a serial killer. You know, or I, I think most of the people in the 36 years I've been a priest that I have either buried or seen at the hospital, particularly to the end of their life, are complicated people or simple people or people who have their gifts and people who have their strengths. And there are some people who are just exemplary and there's some people that are hard to love but you still can thank them and in some way use words that say that you you mattered you really did and uh i think we don't we don't the problem i think is we don't say that enough to people when they're alive because we take it for granted that you know you know john you matter you know and you know, it's like well, not really. No, I don't. <laughs> not, at least not from you, I don't. You know, but uh, so I think that it, it, you know this goes to again. It's a holistic way of being a spiritual person. That to be a spiritual person in times of illness and tragedy or death or ongoing disability, you, you got it. That's it's a talent. It's not a talent. It's a it's a it's a quality that you have to develop through your whole life. It's not just something you pull off the shelf. And I think more people would do that than when the end of life comes, than when those difficult moments come. And I've seen that. I've seen that. Not that it's a matter of somebody being better or somebody being worse, but people who have some spiritual sense about them, some tools, if you will, that they believe there's a power greater than themselves, they find a way, not that it's easy, not that there aren't tears, but they find a way to walk through it that is sometimes a little bit harder for people who don't have that. And they can develop that in those moments, but they seem to have a different way when there's a spiritual life, a different way of coming at it. And you know where you see it, John, is sometimes if, you know, if, uh, you know, grandpop is the one that's dying and the the, the children don't all have the same... Spiritual way of looking at things, and that's where sometimes it gets a little complicated because you know one is telling them you know go home to God, and the other one is you know fighting you know don't go, don't leave us, and so there's there can be sometimes uh, complications with in those situations. But I think uh, it's you got to develop that side of you in your in in the dailyness of your life.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. I like the the word tools. As a way to say, you know these are things you're going to build over time, couple fun questions to close here Fun questions, okay I know you have an identical twin, is that correct? I do have an identical you twin. Know. could you tell us about him? What do you want to know about uh, <laughs>
1: social security number <laughs> no, for know. yeah for 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 my for my birthday, he sent me a bunch of stuff. He saw one of the books in my office, but he also sent me a mug that said. Um, what
0: what's his name? What is he kind of his name is
1: like? name his name is Jeff. He lives in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Um Is he also is a, a
0: priest or no, 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 no.
1: <laughs> he's a he's a vice president of a company in, in Dallas. And uh he um he sent me, he had gave me a, uh, a mug for my birthday that said uh, to the world's okayest brother. <laughs> so, so that's sort of
0: I like this guy already. <laughs> yeah, the okayist.
1: Um my brother and I are very we're very for being identical twins we we have very similar temperaments but we're very different in our interests and our um um uh, you know obviously where our life path has taken us but we're very similar in our temperaments in our just like our temperaments and like you know what we respond to what we don't respond to um
0: so there's that do you, do you make your way down to dallas to see him
1: I haven't been down to Dallas in about t- 2 years was the last time I was I was down there but Texas is like really really flat and i and hot and hot and i was there in august so uh yeah it's it's a nice state i don't i don't see the lore of it for myself but yeah so you know my brother and i uh, we're we're close and you know it's funny that you're talking about a medical thing and i'm not going to get into the details of it but you know It was funny that my brother was going through um something when he lived he was not living in dallas at the time he was living in uh i think newtown pennsylvania and i didn't know this but he i had gone to the doctor and i said to the doctor there there's something that's bothering me and i showed him where on my arm or whatever where what was bothering me and he said really greg i don't know what what the problem is there's nothing there and then I find out like about two weeks later, my brother had some kind of minor surgery on his, on his arm right there. And I said like, OK, I don't think I've had a lot of experiences like that with my brother. But it was kind of funny that we've often said we have the sort of same aches and pains, even if we don't even if we don't know about or tell it to one another. So there is something to be said for that. We don't have mental telepathy or anything like that. I can't you know, can't speak to
0: that. And uh, one last thing. I know you have a dog, correct? Could you tell us about he slash she and how they heal you? Okay.
1: I, I don't, well, let me treat it this way. I don't have a dog. The dog that I have here all the time actually is a dog that I watch for someone, but I've been watching this dog for about 10 years. And there comes a point where I try to explain that this is not my dog. And it just gets, I, I say what my, the person whose dog this really is always says, um, dogs don't belong to anyone. They belong to the universe. But I did have, before watching the story, I had a dog that lived to be 17 years old, a golden retriever mix. I do believe that dogs have a, a, a great power to heal and to calm. Um, I'll tell you a very quick story. My dog, her name was Cameron. And I said she was a retriever. She's mostly a golden retriever. She was not, it wasn't purebred, though. I had had a situation in which Um, I was called to a house in which someone took their own life. This is many years ago. It was really, really, really difficult. Um, And I was there from about 4 o'clock in the afternoon until about 9 o'clock. Then I left. And I had to come back to church for a meeting in which it had to do with the sacrament confirmation. And one parent came out of the meeting and just complained and complained complained about, didn't like the program and blah, blah, blah. And I just took it. I just took it. And I said, we'll try to fix it tomorrow. And I'm like, you don't know what I just was involved with, you know, but I'm not going to say it. I went home, said, I'm going to bed, put the dog out. I brought her in. She came into my room. My dog would always lay at the feet of my, uh, my feet in the bed. Inexplicably that night, she came up and she laid on my chest and she kept trying to cuddle up next to me. And I, and I looked at one of I go, oh my goodness, you know, you absolutely know what happened today and you just said i know you need i need, you need a little little healing here so i that's my experience of he dogs do heal
0: father greg malavitz thanks so much for joining the show
1: thank you for having me john enjoyed it
0: that concludes this episode of esculapius till next time i'm your host john neary be well